Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from our sermon series, which is What the Disciples Do. This morning, we're going to talk about, On This Rock, I Will Build Dayspring. And we're going to go to Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. Would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God while Mr. Henry reads for us today? Then Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, we love you. We praise your name. You are an awesome God. Bless us this morning as we study your word. Help it to change our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. You may be seated. So, Caesarea Philippi. They went to the region. Didn't say they went to the very exact town. The region of Caesarea Philippi. And uh, it's 30 miles north of Galilee. So you think about... You know, uh, when I think about the Holy Land, I'm always thinking about it must be 200 miles that way or 200 miles this way. Not so much. When you go there, you find out it's pretty, like, close by. It's 30 miles that way or 30 miles this way, and sometimes it's 5 and 10 miles. So when you, when you think in terms of where this is at, it's 30 miles north of Galilee, and it was the world center, Caesarea Philippi, for pan worship. If you miss that, you're kind of going to miss all that's necessary to get this passage. The foothills of Mount Hermon on the northern border of Israel is what, where we know this is at. At the foot of a cliff below Mount Hermon is an underground river. Uh, go ahead and, and, and whip up there the picture of uh, us in uh, next next picture. Go, go, go. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no, you had the right one. I just didn't want you to see this. Anyway, so it's the only picture I could find that really... So, for whatever it's worth... Uh, the only reason I have my arms up like this is, first off, and not a smile on my face is, when you're standing in front of gates of hell, you probably shouldn't smile. So I wasn't smiling. But someone said, Matt, this is like triumphant. Look triumphant. So I said, <laughs> and so there we are. A day spring, a couple day spring families went over to Israel a couple years ago. My sister's church was there. And uh, this is just fascinating stuff because my sister was down there uh, and we took turns teaching at different places. So you get to teach here, and Rural Osley gets to teach here, and I get to teach there. And I, I hate to tell you, I didn't get Caesarea Philippi. 
Oh, how I wanted it. So I'm down there listening to my sister. I'm thinking, hmm, you know, brother-sister stuff. Hmm. Anyway, so I grabbed a couple of pieces that come with me. So we went up there, and this is an incredible place. We went right up to the gates of hell. You're looking at it right there. Right behind me is the gates of hell. We know it's a place. It was called a place. So when you read about the gates of hell, it wasn't just an idea. It was a place. And this was the place. I'm standing right in front of it. So let me tell you about this place. It's a, right there, coming out of this place, is an underground river flowing from this deep crate. This is called the Grotto of Pan. Alexander the Great had established a shrine there to the god Pan. Uh, Pan was the, f- the fertility god of mountains and forests, half man, half goat. Uh, at the time of Jesus, there was a flat area, and that area would be over here. And I, I, I just had to go over there and walk around it. I was so, I was just, so, I just loved this place. It, it, there's a 30 by 60 foot temple dedicated to the Emperor Augustus, and there's a 30 by 45 foot platform right in front of that temple. And this is why that's important. Before the time of Jesus, the cave had become the center of pagan cultic fertility and sexuality rites, sometimes involving sexual intercourse between human and goats. I mean, this was the image of Pan, the goat god. All this, of course, was terribly, terribly offensive to Jesus and to, to the Jews. Nonetheless, the rabbi Jesus says, hey, before the end of my life, I want to take you to this place. And we think there's huge places around here where he was probably up there somewhere looking down upon this place while he was saying, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And what he's saying is, I know what goes down. And who knows that they weren't just doing those fertility rites right there, right then. I mean, it was horrific stuff. And we have no idea what was going on, except we know that Jesus was in this vicinity. He's talking about this. Jesus is undoubtedly pointing down, saying, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. It was incredible. And this is the way the rabbis taught. This is the way the rabbi Jesus taught. Let's go to a particular place and make a particular point. So they are here at the gates of hell. And what everyone believed was the gods lived in the underworld and that the cave was one of the entrances to this underworld known as hell or known as Hades. So the cave at the 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 foot of the Mount of Hermon was called this gates of hell. If Jesus had been standing somewhere over that, looking down and talking, you have to wonder these things. When he says to Peter, and by the way, this is interesting stuff, Peter, and on this rock, well, that's what Peter means is rock. You're a rock, and on this rock... I will build my church. Now, Catholics and Protestants have had a huge fight across 2,000 years here as exactly what he meant. The Catholics think, you are rock, and on you I will build my church. Protestants say, no, it was his declaration. When he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that, that's the rock upon which Christ will build his church. And let me tell you what, I agree with both Catholics and Protestants at that point. I believe it was substantially Peter, not only Peter, but that it was Peter that God built. I don't think he was the first pope or anything, but I think he was substantial enough and important enough, I'll tell you why here in a few moments, important enough of a figure that Christ says, listen, I'm going to do something special with your life. But I also think this declaration, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Woo! You can build a movement on that. 
And Jesus says, I'm going to do that. So which did he mean? I think he meant both and a third. I think he meant a third thing. When he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, first off, I think he says, living God, not the dead and never were gods like are presented down there. Caesar is not a god. All these other gods that are in the side of the mountain right now, they are not gods. I am God. I'm the son of the living God, just like you say, Peter. The second thing here, did Jesus mean that on this rock I will build my church? And this is what I think. Did it mean Peter? Yes. Did it mean his declaration? Yes. But did it mean this third thing? That on the rock of pagan values, those values will be smashed between the rock of God's values and the faith of the living God. He looks down at this grotto of pan and he says, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. We're not just going to go to the suburbs, to the easy places. We're not just going to go where, hey, everything's cool and nice and we're going to plant churches there. We're going to go to hell. We're going to go to the hellish places. And we're going to plant our churches right there, right where they worship Caesar, right there where they worship Baal, right there where they worship Moloch. That's where we're going to plant the church. And guess what? We win. They're not going to put it to us. We're going to put it to them. They're come our, and it's going to be because of love. Love will win. I will win. We will win, says Jesus. So... Having said all that, Dayspring had our first public service on October 29th of the year 2000. It was a few months before that that I was sitting in a worship service. I was probably sitting about where Miss Janice is sitting here in the, in the bright red. I was sitting about there with my family at a church on Terry Road. And we were listening in, and I, I got to go to the bathroom. So I got up, I excused myself, I start going back to the back. And uh, back there at the doorway was Henry Greer. And I don't know why. There's some things I plan meticulously. No, there's not. I don't plan anything meticulously. I asked Mary to marry me, for instance, pretty much on a whim. I'm thinking, I love her. Hey! And then I I won't even tell you how I proposed her. It's it's horrific. Because I didn't plan it, it's horrific. But she said yes, so that that was good. So I'm back there with Mr. Henry, and I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know why. I just felt moved to say, Mr. Henry, you've been praying about a church in Clinton for a long time. What if I were to say, I'd like to be your pastor? He said, if he said anything other than what he said, we probably wouldn't be here today. But he said, let's go. And so literally, I think the next Sunday night, maybe two Sunday nights from then, uh, I told Mr. Henry and I told another guy named Brian Easley, Keith McGee, he was in on this. And they said, hey, let's just invite some people, anybody we think might be interested in sticking their spiritual neck out and planting a church. Let's have a meeting over at Matt's house on Sunday night. And 40 people showed up. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I thought maybe five would, six would, ten would. I had no idea. And so we looked out there and said, well, this is the kind of church we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to operate. And having said that, uh, I think we've got enough people. Let's just start meeting. Let's start tithing to this thing. Let's start meeting together. So I think the Sunday after that, we start meeting together at the old Wesley Biblical Seminary on Floral Drive, uh, close to Tougaloo, and uh, we start having services. Now, they were not very good services, I can tell you. It was really rough. We We had to find our groove. But once we found our groove, we then said, now let's look for a place to meet in Clinton. 
And uh, we looked and we looked and we looked. And about the time we were about ready to say, hey, we might need to shove this on into the spring because it doesn't look like it's happening in the fall. We can't find a place. The school system would not have us. They said no. Now, that's where you plant a lot of churches. It's in school auditoriums or in school gyms. They just said no. Can't have you. All right, well, uh, let's go to the movie theater. That's where a lot of churches plant. Movie theater was in bankruptcy. Uh, and so we thought, now where? Uh, no business would have us. And one day, uh, Mr. Henry's sister is uh, driving down the highway and sees the skating rink. And she looks over and says, why not there? Now, I've never heard of a church starting in a skating rink. I'm not sure a church ever has started a skating rink because they don't want to be called what they're going to call you when you're in the skating rink. Holy rollers. But there we were. We planted a church. We, we moved everything in. We moved everything out every Sunday. It was pretty easy at first because a lot of people wanted to do it. But you know how that goes. After about two years, ain't nobody there but Mr. Henry and the pastor's family. And we're just tired as we can be. And we're thinking, man, I wonder if there's a building somewhere else where we could just keep our stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, we'd still be meeting in the skating rink if it weren't for a couple people that said, let's get out of here, like uh, Joyce Caracy and Bill Durr. And they said, we got to get out of here. And I'm thinking, well, okay, but I, that's not my skill set. Well, it happens to be Bill's skill set, and it happens to be Joyce Caracy's skill set. So they said, let's get out of here. And we moved down into uh, Lewis Furniture is what it's called now. And we started meeting there, and that was great. God bless us there. And we'd still be there, except, again, these people are saying, hey, we're running out of parking. We need to do something else. I'm thinking, well, that's not my skill set. Well, it's our skill set. How about there? I'm thinking, I don't know. How about there? Why not? I guess. I don't know. And uh, I'm going to tell you, your pastor's a loser on many different levels. That's one of the levels is buildings and raising money, and I have no idea how to do. And I don't like to do these things, so I don't do them. Somebody else does them. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. Amen? I don't think a pastor has to have all skills. I think it's cool when he can't have many skills, but I don't even have that. Many skills. But what we had was enough to say the body of Christ is here together. Let's do things for his kingdom, for his glory. Let's pool our resources, mean pool our talents, and let's make some things happen. And uh, I got to tell you, I look at this building. And I think now, boy, I wish I would have been paying more attention. We'd have done some things differently. But y'all got to admit, this is pretty cool. Jesus has blessed us. And so I just, uh, yeah, go ahead and clap. It's important to clap. So eventually we wind up here on a lake in West Clinton. How about this? This is just a cool place to be. I'm so grateful for it. So the passage today says this, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I want to tell you, think about gates. When you think about a gate, you're thinking pretty much we're trying to keep people out, right? When you have a gated community in North Jackson, where I live, pretty much that's saying we're trying to keep you all out. This is defensive posture, right? A gate is defensive posture. So think, who has the gate here? Not the church. It's hell that has the gate. And what That means is, apparently, we're supposed to be on the offensive against the gates of hell. They're the ones that are sneakily trying to do their thing from the fortress. Where we're supposed to attack is the fort. Hell's on defense. The kingdom is on offense. So let's get moving. But I think too many in the church 
has said this. We're going to make our church, and then we're going to try to get inside and preserve our values. And I'm going to tell you, that's tantamount to evil. You do not establish a fortress and say, that's the primary reason we're here is fortress mentality. Because if that is your primary mentality, that means you will become a Pharisee and your whole church will be full of Pharisees before long. We do not exist to simply preserve what God has given us. We want to use what God has given us to be on the offensive. Now, John Stott says this. John Stott was a great theologian, uh, one of Billy Graham's trusted theologians. And John Stott used to do a lot of work with college campuses. He says, I know a lot of Christians on secular campuses that believe in rabbit hole Christianity. I've always thought about that, rabbit hole Christianity. So, in other words, he says, there's a rabbit, and here comes the morning. And so the rabbit peeks up, makes sure there's no coyotes around, and says, all right, let me go. And he goes, but then once he senses there's danger nearby, he goes to the next rabbit hole and gets in. And then he goes to class, to rabbit hole, to class, to rabbit hole, to event, to rabbit hole. He says, and that's what I see a lot of Christians doing on secular campuses. They're going from rabbit hole to rabbit hole. And then when I read that from John Stott, you know what I thought? That's what a lot of Christians do today. We go from Christian radio station to Christian TV, to Christian friends, back to Christian radio, back, and our whole mentality is, how can we stay Christian 100% of the day by the fortress? It's a bad way to be a Christian. Because Jesus wants you confronting. He wants you to be on the offensive. And your faith will be so much stronger if you live on the offense instead of living on the defense. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time for defense. I'm just going to say, you don't, you've never heard of anybody winning the Super Bowl without some points on the board. So let's play strong defense when we need to play. Let's have a fortress. I mean, the Psalms talk all the time about a fortress. But that can't be where we live most cases, most of the time. We've got to be on the offense. So, day spring has been in attack mode for 20 years. We've been in attack mode for 20 years. We first started an abortion clinic ministry. Wasn't my idea. Uh-uh. I only like to talk about abortion clinic ministry. That was my role. I want to teach you all about abortion. It's evil. It's wicked. Don't vote for anybody that votes for abortion. Don't do it. Stay away. Hallelujah. Thine the glory. Amen. And then one day, Patricia Frazier walks up, like the first day, on the first, I'm not kidding you, on the first day, she walks up and says, so when are we starting our abortion clinic ministry? I'm thinking, oh, golly, Molly. No, 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 you, you mistake me for an activist. I'm not an activist. I'm a teacher. I teach about such things. I'm a radio talk show host. I'm the big mouth behind the microphone. I'm the newspaper columnist. I'm the guy that writes about these things. Oh, that's my ministry. Big mouth. I don't actually do something about it. The problem was what I always taught about it was this. If you're going to have a church that takes abortion clinic or any other ministry, seriously, hey, guess what, Mr. Pastor? You need to be in the fight yourself. You need to lead the way. Leaders lead. Leaders just don't talk. Leaders lead. And so, I, I didn't, can I just tell you again? I didn't want to. But I felt like in the moment I was 
forced to by Patricia. So there you go. It wasn't long after that we started a prison ministry. One long after that, we started a nursing home ministry. One long after that, we started something at John Hopkins. And I mean, we had some, just to think about John Hopkins. Today, we get to have a good news club. And boy, I tell you what, you talk about a turn on to watch all these kids come in. And Jody and her team get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a secular school to kids that have been going through secularity all day long. And now they get to hear the gospel and we give them an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. How cool is that? But it didn't start with the Good News Club. We started by saying, hey, let's do some reading to kids. Uh, and then, it's, then we morphed into the Princess Club, which Miss Donna did. And by the way, we got, she'd get girls together and taught them how to be young ladies. It was precious. It was so precious that the governor, Haley Barber, gave us an award for it. I mean, we're an award-winning church. Woo! We also got third place in the first Christmas parade at, uh, on, on the Clinton thing, too. So we won two awards. Third place float, and we won for the Princess Club. Hallelujah. Nine to glory. But I'm going to tell you what. You're not going to get handouts from anybody for taking the abortion clinic seriously. You're not going to get handouts from anybody for taking the prison seriously. You don't get handouts from anybody for taking the nursing home seriously. But guess what? Awards or no, Dayspring for 20 years has said, we are going to be found in those places. For the glory of God and for the furtherance of his kingdom, that's where we belong. C.S. Lewis once said this. Think about this. Enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. By extension, enemy occupied territory. That's what Clinton is. That's what Hines County is. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what Metro Jackson is. So Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say he landed in disguise. And now is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love that. Your job and mine are to be people of holy sabotage, of loving sabotage, of righteous sabotage. And I'll declare it one more time. We've been doing that for 20 years. And God has blessed us. Thousands of prisoners have prayed to receive Christ and hundreds have been baptized. I would say, I don't know, Mr. Bill, I think we could say probably hundreds have been baptized right there, let alone out there at the prison. We've decided, hey, we can't be Baptist a whole life. We're going to go have to sprinkle some guys. We decided, well, let's go ahead and do it halfway. We won't sprinkle. We'll just pour. And so we take water out there and make sure a guy gets seriously wet. Then we say, hey, get to the church as soon as you can so we can put you all the way down. I just suggest to you here, thousands of prisoners have been through that with us. Hundreds of babies have been saved at the abortion clinic. Hundreds have been visited in a nursing home. The gospel's been preached, and kids have been won to Christ at John Hopkins Elementary, and we've read to them. We've had the Good News Club as well as the Princess Club, and nearly 50 nations, look around at these flags, nearly 50 nations have been visited by day spring with hammers and paintbrushes and open Bibles. I, one of my favorite stories there is I love that Ron has actually been to China smuggling in Bibles. And he's still living to tell the story. Praise God. Uh, we're about ready. Have we ever been to Haiti, Mr. Henry? Oh, rats. I wanted to go someplace new. Anyway, I'm going. 
we got to keep this thing going. Henry's situation's changed a little bit. And so what we need to make sure is somebody is keeping us engaged with the world outside of America. And one of the great ways to do it is take a trip from time to time just to renew ourselves in missions. We have had at least four families from Day Springs spend serious time on the mission field, and one still today in Senegal, the Carr family, that says, this Day Spring is our home church, and we're busy in Africa for the gospel. So we've done much. God has done much through us. By His grace, and only by His grace, have we operated in this fashion. But I want to say, Jesus said to Peter that he would receive the keys of the kingdom. Peter uses those keys powerfully. Boy, does he use those keys powerfully. In Acts 2, remember? It says, Peter stood up. One of my favorite phrases in all Scripture. Peter stood up. And he preached the gospel that day, and he used his keys. And the Jews, by the thousands, came to know him. Then, he goes to Samaria. And in Samaria, he sticks his key in the door called Samaria, and he twists, and guess what? Samaritans. They said all of Samaria came to know Jesus. Then, in Acts 10, he goes to the Gentiles in a Gentile city. We have no record that any of the disciples had ever been in a Gentile city, but he goes there, he preaches the gospel, and the Gentile named Cornelius and all his family came to know Jesus Christ. You talk about keys, Peter used his keys. You've got keys. You believe that? I don't think Peter's the only guy that gets keys. We all get keys. And so with your keys, with your keys, you're supposed to go to friends, to relatives, to associates, people you work with, and to neighbors. And you, you are supposed to use your keys to bring them to Jesus Christ. And then, if at all possible, because Dayspring has been built on the rock of Jesus Christ, to bring them to Dayspring so they can get discipled here and then sent out from here. If you want to know what a powerful faith is, it's you using your keys. But Dayspring's also been given keys. I'm so very grateful for Dayspring's keys. We have used them for various ministries and, of course, for some church plants. We've actually planted three churches. One was in Madison, lasted about a year. One was in Byram, lasted well over five years. We've been disappointed, of course, in those short tenures. But we have planted a church in Flowood that is doing exceedingly well. Uh, they're meeting right now, and they are full of life. And uh, the uh, worship leader today is from there, as well as is his wife from Foundry. We're so very grateful for what God is doing there. And now we feel like Jesus has said, I can do more through two than through one. So team up with Foundry, and let's plant another church or two, or three, or four, or eight. Is it possible we could somehow plant eight churches before I have to, before you finally say, Pastor, we need someone younger than you. It's time for you to hit the road so we can get us a young preacher with kids. Well, I had some kids. Yeah, but they're old geezers now, Matt. We need... That day, hallelujah will come. I'm serious, hallelujah will come. You'll get some new leadership, but I would like, before my tenure ends up here, to have something like five to eight churches all around here that we could look down and say, kid, grandkid, great-grandkid. How cool would that be? 
We could have great grandkids. It's what God has called us to do. No question. Because that is how the gospel proliferates.